is the Big Church Podcast. How is everyone doing this morning? Ah, oh, all six of you are great. How is everyone doing this morning? Ah, oh, that's better. Y'all look good. You don't have to tell me I look good in my, my blue-green shirt. I know it. Just kidding. Well, we're here to celebrate Palm Sunday this week, and a little bit of what goes on in, in the, this whole Holy Week is called Passion Week in the Christian world. And Palm Sunday was the day when, I'm gonna give you a little recap here before I get into my message. And how, how many's excited about taking communion today? Come on, we're going to the Lord's table after this, so bear with us, bear with me on the end of this. But Palm Sunday is um, the day that Jesus rode into town. And everybody thought, man, here comes the king. This is the, this is the dude that's gonna come and raise a kingdom up and he's gonna take us, he's gonna be our king. But as the week went on, he started kicking people out of the temple. He started, he started talking to the religious people and started telling them, hey, this is not right and that's not right. And, and all of a sudden, he wasn't the most popular guy in the world. So a few days later, he was accused and, and, and he, he was found guilty. And the Hosanna that they all cried as he walked in turned to crucify. Hosanna turned to crucify. And then we know that he went to the cross. But th th this morning, I want to I want to preach a message to you called "Meet Me in the Middle." And I was gonna sing it, but I ain't got that voice. But have you ever talked? Have you ever talked about middle things like the middle of the pack? You know, we have a little race coming up in a couple weeks, right? Called the Kentucky Derby. They better run it in May, or we're gonna all protest, right? September is not Derby time. May is. But you talk about the middle of the pack, and they start about the horses that get out, and they get stuck in the middle of the pack, and, and some of them are do well from the middle of the pack. But um, also there's another saying called middle of the road, and that is an action or a standpoint between two extremes. You have two extremes in this church, and you probably didn't even know it. We have my lovely wife up here on the Enneagram. Yes, I said Enneagram. Y'all get over it. Uh, she's an eight, and I'm a nine. We are kind of very far away from each other in a lot of areas, but there was a time when we were sitting at the table and, and you know, an eight is like, go, 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 and yo, 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 and she's always kicking me in the butt and making me do it a little bit faster because I need it because a nine needs a kick in the butt every once in a while and come on, hey, be nice. But we were sitting at the kitchen table and, and, and she says, you know what we gotta do? We have to hit, we have to hit somewhere in the middle. You're here, and you're this, this, and I'm here, and sometimes I'm this, this, and we need to figure out how we can meet in the middle. And let me just tell y'all something. If y'all ain't figured it out, I love people, but I don't like everybody touching me. I like hugging. I didn't talk about it here. Y'all, I'll give you a hug, a handshake, or whatever, but if I'm out in public, I've never been to Thunder Over Louisville. The idea of thousands and thousands of people like, ugh, no. And I don't like sitting in the middle. Does anybody else not like sitting in there? I have to sit on the end. You know, I'll even wait later just to get an end seat because I can't do it. Why? And sometimes when you're sitting at the end, it can still be annoying. Why? You got that person that's always getting up, always getting down. You're just like, hey, this is only an hour long. Can you not hold it until afterwards? And how about that person that moves down the aisle and they're so graceful when they're, oh, excuse me, so, sorry, or falling all over you. That's why we try to keep these seats as far as wide as we can. I don't want people falling because I don't want nobody falling on me. 
And another thing that we fight about is the armrest. You ever have an armrest and, and, and y'all know my pain. We go on a plane and she has to have the armrest. And then she's like, when I get, when I get my little part of it, she's always mm, giving me that elbow. Well, let's go back to Genesis. Yes, I said Genesis, so this is gonna be a long day. So everybody get your Bibles out. We're preaching Genesis to Revelations today. Well, let's go back to Genesis. God created a perfect world. And in that world, he gave us everything and anything that we would ever need. And he stood outside of this world, this garden, and he said to, to Adam and Eve, he says, you can have all of this. It's all yours. All you got to do is tend it, and it's yours. But he wanted us to choose. So right in the middle of that garden, he put a tree. Right in the middle of that home, he gave us a choice. Why did he want to give us a choice? Because he didn't want a bunch of robots running around. He didn't want someone who would just do it because he said so. God wanted us to love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. He wanted to give us a choice. Bad thing about it is we chose wrong. And the consequences of that choice were devastating. Sin came into the world and, and, and pain came into the world. Hurt and death, both spiritually and physically, but the biggest thing was there was separation between God and man. Genesis 3.23 says this. It says, therefore the Lord God sent him out, sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which it was taken. They were kicked out of the garden. We were a mess. So what, God, what did God do? God always comes up with a good plan. He promised us an answer. In Isaiah 7.14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and I'm not preaching a Christmas message this morning, so you're good, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament, some 400 years went by where God didn't say anything. 400 years to where, where um, there was silence and there was waiting and there was wondering and there was fearing and people were like, oh my gosh, is God still there? There was 700 years from the time Isaiah said that in the birth of Christ. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. How do you handle the middle? Anybody buy a house? Anybody bought a house? You walk in the front door and you say, my, my, what a beautiful hallway. I love this hallway. This is the best hallway I've seen all day. No, most of y'all don't say that. Why? Because you don't sleep in a hallway. You don't spend time in the hallway unless you're at the family reunion and sister so-and-so and your aunt and uncle's over there gossiping in the corner. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They're probably talking about you. Y'all ever been there? They're in the hallway. But you don't spend time in the hallway. You don't stay in the hallway. The hallway is a passage from one place to another. You are not designed to be living in the hallway. But this, but you say to it, I'm stuck in the middle. I'm stuck between in the hallway. Why am I stuck? A lot of times the things that gets us stuck in the middle is bad choices. Disobedience and sin in our lives. And listen, I can tell you, my hallway experience was about nine or about 10 years ago. And God had to put me in the hallway because I had, been, I had done my own thing and was trying to do it. But he, he, he knew that I had to be in a place to where only I could receive from him. 
Sometimes those bad choices will put you in the hallway. But I'm going to tell you something. I needed to be in the hallway, but listen to me. I was still chosen in the hallway. I was still chosen in the middle. In the middle and in between is where it's uncomfortable, it's lonely, it's scary. And number two, what do we do in the hallway? We feel sorry for ourselves. Oh, we've been going through this a long time. Really? 400 years, but they didn't hear from God. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Can you imagine? We would have given up after 90 days, 90 minutes. Noah built a boat that took him 120 years to accomplish. People laughing at him. And you're saying that it's been going through a really long time? Well, a pity party only has room for one person in it. Most of the time, we try to drag someone else into it. We try to pull everybody else in, but there's only place for one. Can I let you know that God wants to open doors in your lives, but how you react in the middle and how you react in the hallway determines how long you're going to stay there. Can I say that again? How you react in the middle determines how long you're going to stay there. Grumbling and complaining and blaming and, and lack of patience and even jealousy. In between, in between is going to keep you from being all in. Waiting is not always a bad thing. It reveals who and what you're placing your trust in. Those that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. If you're waiting on the wrong things, I'm telling you, you're never going to get what you want to get. Waiting can build your faith. And if God is first, waiting can build your faith if God is first on the list. Waiting can build your strength and your faith and it can test your resolve, and it'll make you say that I'm in it to win it. Here's Jesus in the garden. Our middleman was tested in the garden, Matthew 26. You're getting the whole story this morning, so hang on. Then Jesus came with them to a place that's called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here, sit here while I pray over there. That's, that means something. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply depressed, distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went, say, a little farther. And he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cut pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but yours be done. He went a little farther. He left them here to go here. So that they could get here. Oh, that y'all didn't get that. He left them here to be the middle man so that he could have access to God. He went a little farther for you. You got to know that Jesus always goes that next step for you. He never stops in just enough. He gives you all that he can. Think about Gethsemane. The word means oil press. The garden area was where they pressed the olive oil. The garden represented the pressure that Jesus underwent when he faced the cross. You got to understand something. Jesus was God, but he was also man in the flesh. He felt everything you feel. He knew everything that you were going to go through. Luke 24. And then being in agony, he prayed more earnestly that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And it's, it's ironic that Luke would write this part because Luke was a physician or a doctor. There is a, a, a medical term called hematidrosis. I had to get Google out to get that one. 
It's a rare but very real medical condition that causes one sweat to contain blood. I don't know if it really meant that he, he, he dropped blood off in his sweat. Wow, that was easy for me to say. I don't know that that's what it was. But Paul, I mean, but um, Luke said this is what it looked like. It was in agony and in pain. And this first prayer was a real prayer. It says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Here was a choice that had to be made. He said, do I save myself? And if I save myself, nobody else has hope. But if I lose my life, I'm gonna bring liberty and justice and, and, and salvation to everyone that's out there. He had a choice to make. This is why he became our middle man because he went back to the disciples and what were they doing? They were sleeping. And you know how much I like a nap. Hey. But he said to them, why he became the middle man? Because he said, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He knew that they could not do it on their own. He knew that he had to be the advocate and they'll go between. He looks at him, he said, couldn't you just stay up for me with an hour? Come on, couldn't you just give me an hour? I need your support. I need your prayers. Jesus could have gotten discouraged at that time, but listen to me. Instead of a breakdown, he got a breakthrough. Listen, in Matthew 26. It said again, a second time, he went away and he prayed saying, oh, father, if this cup can pass from me, if it cannot pass from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. The second prayer was this. It was release. He said, he gave and he said, your will be done, not mine. And he came down, 43, here's the disciples again. This is us. And he came and he found them asleep again and their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words. How many of us will say the same prayer over and over and over and over and over? Sometimes we do. But sometimes, I love it when it says he went a little farther, he went away, and he went away again. Sometimes that third prayer is that resolve. So I'm telling you, the resolve means to decide and to settle. Don't give up on that prayer. Don't give up on that prayer you've been praying. You may not think God is hearing it, but listen, it may take one more time to get the answer that you need. It may take that one more time to build your strength and to know his will. Don't give up. Keep going back to the Father. Isn't it ironic that Jesus made the ultimate choice in a garden? That choice canceled out the bad choice that we made. Isn't that ironic? The, 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 not my will, but your be done, took care of all those hundreds and thousands of years of everything because he was obedient to the Father. Jesus became our middle man on the cross. I don't know, I don't know if they show the passion of the Christ, but I've seen it probably seven or eight times. And, but you don't really understand what the crucifixion is. Let me read this to you. The Romans had perfected. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to understand what I'm about to read to you, and I want you to pray into what, what God wants you to hear. The Romans had perfected this brutal art of death. The condemned was laid on the cross while on the ground. His arms were extended. They were careful not to extend them too much because that would make death quicker. The length of time required to die was determined by how much flexion was left in the knees to allow breathing. 
This position calls cruel exercise. In order to breathe and relieve pain in the arms and in the body as it sagged downward, Jesus had to push up with his nailed feet, forcing the up and down motion on the cross. Dangling on the cross usually caused gradual joint separation, joint separation, and a slow, painful death that took many hours and sometimes many days. Here's the thing. Most people were tied to a cross, but Jesus was nailed to a cross. Why? Because Hebrew 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or there is no cancellation for, or charge for sin. So many people that come into church a lot of times, it's like, why are they talking about the blood all the time? What does that mean? You know what I'm talking about. You talk to people outside of the, that what have not been grown up in church will be like, the blood and, 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 and what does all that mean? Blood needed to be shed because back in those days, you had to have a sacrifice before you could come before God and blood needed to be shed. Why did it have to be? Because there's life in the blood. And here's what I love about this. The devil thought he was really, really, really getting Jesus, didn't he? Oh, not only are we gonna tie him up there, we're gonna put nails in his hands and nails in his feet, but what happened when that happened? It produced more blood. As the blood was going down the cross, I'm telling you what, he was laughing, but all of heaven was rejoicing because it was for you and for you and for you and for me. Jesus will meet anyone in the middle. Luke 23, 33. And when he had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the, and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. What happened is they both started blaspheming Jesus. It appears that both of these men are just exactly alike, right? They're both criminals. They're both sentenced to the same death or the same sentence. And they were to die on the same day and the same place. But here's the difference. The difference was one, one point was how they viewed the man in the middle. One criminal saw Jesus as a means of escape. Hey, if you're Jesus, hey, if you're who you say you are, uh, why don't you save yourself and why don't you save us? He had selfish motives. It wasn't about anything, it was about himself. But listen, the second one was shocked when he heard these words. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about mercy. Think about love. Think about grace. As he's hanging there, he's been beaten to death. He, there was no hardly no life in him, but yet he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How can God, the, the thief said, how can God, he asked God to forgive them. There's no way I could forgive them. So many times we get in our lives and people we think have just done too much and been too far. There's no way we can do it. Jesus showed the example. And when it did, it changed this guy's perspective. He didn't see Jesus as a way of escape. He saw Jesus as Lord. He was no longer about, it was no longer about his past or why he was getting crucified. It was about the position of his heart. He said, we deserve this. We deserve this. We did something wrong. And he looked over at Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. True salvation comes when we admit and we recognize who Jesus really is. But look what he did. He showed even more 
grace and mercy on the cross. He told, he looked at him and he said, today, say today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Sometimes it took two or three days to die on the cross. He was showing him mercy. He said, today, you're not going to have to go through uh, uh, the agony because you made the right choice to look at the man in the middle. He showed him mercy and grace. John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Have you ever been stuck? Listen to me. Have you ever been stuck in the middle of something? Have you ever been stuck in the middle of family drama? That's a whole nother message right there. Family stuff. You ever been stuck in the middle between two friends who have opposing views, but they want you to be the middleman? You ever been stuck with making a choice that you knew would, could take you one way or the other place? Jesus was stuck in the middle. He was stuck between a holy and just God and a sinful and wicked world that needed judgment. Why did we need judgment? Because there was separation between God and man all the way back to Genesis, as I said. We were guilty. We had no defense. We needed the ultimate sacrifice. The sheep and the lambs and the turtle doves and all of that stuff was not working anymore. That's why he met us in the middle with these words. It is finished. And you know what happened when he said it is finished? It says the veil in the temple was torn right down the middle. Now, you don't understand. That veil, that veil was 60 feet high. It was 30 feet wide and it was four inches thick. But when Jesus said, it is finished, it was torn right down the middle. You don't understand the significance of that because it used to be we were on the outside looking in. The priest is the only one that could go behind the veil. But Jesus said, it is finished. I've brought salvation to you. You can now access and be in with God. Separation between God and man and religion in the temple. But listen to me. God did not respond to our deeds, but to our needs. If he responded to our deeds, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? But he knew what we needed. He gave us access to God. We did not have that before. We no longer had to wait for someone else to go into the place where we can go now. The Bible says you can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus said it's finished and he shed his blood on the cross. Now you can come down here to the altar every Sunday. You can get in the altar around your bedroom. You can be in your car because you have access to God. Man, I'm spitting all over the place up here. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Fulfill means to bring something to its intended goal. There's over 400 prophecies fulfilled with Jesus. Ephesians 2:14. For he himself, our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 1 Timothy 2.5, and there is one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Jesus Christ. He became our advocate. He became our go-between. He became our ultimate middle man. And let me just tell you something. Jesus meets you in the middle. 
He is your middle ground. He can meet you in the middle of your struggle. He can meet you in the middle of your sin. He can meet you in the middle of your pain. He can meet you in the middle of your past. He can meet you in the middle of everything. Whew. And when he meets you there, he says, it is finished. We need to get a, we need to get a mindset about it's done. So many times we keep rehearsing it. Hey, I'm guilty of that one too. But Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. You don't have to keep feeling the way that you're feeling. You don't have to keep going the same places you're going. You don't have to be doing the same thing. It is finished. And when he said, it is finished, he didn't say, I'm finished. He said, death and sickness and depression and suicide and the power of sin was crushed by those words. A bad day for Jesus turned into Good Friday for us. His bad day was awful good to us. Listen to me, when you're about ready to give in, God's not. When you're ready to throw in the towel, God still makes a way. When most would say it's too late to say I'm sorry now, too late to believe, God says come back home. Woo! It's feeling all Pentecostal up in here this morning. This unnamed man gave us hope that we still have a chance. Aren't you glad you still have a chance? The repentant thief showed us that it's never too late. My dad led my grandfather to Jesus on his deathbed. And I believe, even though he had rejected Christ his whole life, I believe he's in heaven today because he accepted Jesus as Savior. That thief was on that cross at the very last minute of his life. And Jesus looked over with him with mercy and grace and said, you're going to be with me today. Aren't you glad Jesus ain't like us? Oh, I'm going on after that one. Lord, help us to remember, as long as there's life, you're still working. Help us not to give up on people and give up on ourselves that easily. I'm closing with this. As we celebrate Passion Week, let's truly remember the passion Jesus showed us in his life and his death. We hope you enjoyed this message on the My Big Church podcast. We thank everyone who has given to support this ministry. To find out more about how to support financially or more about Big Church, you may visit our website, mybigchurch.com. If you live in the Louisville, Kentucky area and don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our guest at Big Church. We are located at 7209 Faganbush Lane in Louisville, and we have worship services at 945 and 1130 every Sunday. Thank you again for listening to the My Big Church podcast.